Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We have a very busy show coming up for you today. Do you remember being back in school and like you learned about things and you kind of know it's a thing, but you don't necessarily remember what it was? Like in social studies class, you ever learn about the Monroe Doctrine? Like I feel like I have a, I feel like I almost could tell you what the Monroe Doctrine is. I sort of think I know, but I don't know that hundred percent know. It's one of those things that like you just heard that phrase, you learned about it in school. You're not really quite sure what it means. Uh, so we're not going to do history class here today, but I do believe that there is on display for all of us a Kirby Doctrine. I believe there is a thing, a, a method for Kirby Smart that does set him up right now to be different than the other head coaches of the top national championship contenders on a yearly basis. I think it explains why George won a national championship last year. And we'll look at that ourselves here coming up in uh, just a moment. Also, Georgia released kind of an interesting video yesterday. We'll talk about that here coming up in a minute, too. So we are very busy on this show. Oh, yeah. By the way, one more thing. and I promise we'll get started after that. I'm also going to give away some Braves tickets today. Now, this is an all skate. If you're watching live on video, if you're listening on demand on the podcast, if you're listening on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 96, the ref, everyone's going to have a chance to win on this. We're going to be live at Battery Atlanta tomorrow, next to Spark at Sport and Social, ahead of the Braves game against the Nationals when the Braves World Series trophy and the Georgia National Championship trophy are going to be there together. It's Champions Week for the Braves. So I, I hope everybody can come out, but specifically a few folks are going to get a chance to win some Braves tickets here before we're done today. So that's going to actually be really exciting. We'll do that here coming up in just a, a little bit. All right, so let me kind of dive into this. We are also getting ready for the NFL draft there as well, and there is very interesting drama as it relates to a couple of former Georgia stars. One guy, maybe some good news. Another guy that's obviously a fan favorite to all of us, maybe not quite such good news, and we're trying to figure out what all of that means. Let me start with the positive here for a moment. There is a growing narrative out there that the number one overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft could be Trayvon Walker, the Georgia defensive end. I believe that Walker is actually the number two betting favorite, at least in some of the sites that I've seen, with uh, Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson, I guess, being number one there. He's got minus odds right now. He's uh, you know he's favored to be the number one overall pick, but Walker is just below him in terms of those uh, betting odds, and more and more analysts are kind of talking up Walker's status in all of this. In fact, let me show you Chris Collinsworth sliding in to a Twitter here to say don't be surprised if Georgia's Trayvon Walker is the first overall pick because I watch an extra hour of his tape just for fun there's nothing he can't do now in response to this and in comparison to Aiden Hutchinson my opinion here is not going to be surprising <laughs> if you take Hutchinson over Walker you deserve everything that's coming your way on that. Uh, you know, listen, I mean, did anybody actually watch the Orange Bowl? Were you in Miami for that game? Did you see the media-created fraud that was the Michigan Wolverines? And listen, I know Hutchinson's a good player, and you know, Motor's always running, and all the other you know things you want to attach to all of that. But, I mean, this to me is just sort of the classic example of, as, as uh, Chris Collinsworth said, of when you watch Trayvon Walker, when you watch him closely, when you look deeper than what is not a very robust stat sheet, admittedly, but when you watch the way that he plays, when you watch the way that he goes about his business, there is literally nothing he cannot do. Uh, at least that's the sense that I get. And 
you know, is he more valuable than quarterback? Well, you know, quarterback's the most important position. Is he more valuable than this, more valuable than that? I, you know, you know, you'll start c- comparing across positions. That gets into a different type of deal. But if you want defensive end, guy coming off the edge for you, if anybody wants to talk to themselves as Aiden Hutchinson over uh, Trayvon Walker, I think you deserve everything that's coming your way if you uh, make that decision. That's not a surprising take from a pro-Georgia show, but nonetheless, that's kind of what's out there right now. Now, on the flip side of that, while there is good news out there for Trayvon Walker, apparently there is less than that right now for Nicobe Dean. And I think all of this is really pretty interesting, although Dean has at least one high-profile admirer who is out there touting for him and arguing for him, despite the fact that some are arguing against him. There was an interesting segment the other day on ESPN where Mel Kuyper, who has been around doing this for a long time, was talking about the possibility of of Georgia linebacker Nicobe Dean falling out of the first round. And some of this may be related to the evaluation of Dean. Some of this is also kind of related to the evaluation of that interior linebacker position, basically saying that it's almost kind of like falling out of favor with teams looking to draft in the first round. And what uh, Kuyper was saying is, you know, maybe it's a Philadelphia, maybe it's a New England, but if it's not one of those teams, there might not quite be a first-round team there to take a guy like N'Kobe Dean, who we all saw dominating the season last year one of the main reasons we actually even did a show like this about this last week of you look at those great teams from georgia the 2017 college football playoff team the 2021 national championship team at georgia they had that great interior linebacker as a part of the recipe for success we talked even last week about how important that was for uga but apparently not every nfl team is impressed by that according to mel kuyper however todd mcshay the espn draft analyst nonetheless is man he is pounding his fist on the table and he is making that argument for dean despite the fact that not everyone is this was interesting for mcshay on tv let me let you hear it nicobe dean i knew i had a higher grade than than most people on and and i I personally think he's one of the 20 best football players in this class maybe one of the best 15 but there's there's concern about the arm length concern about the speed concern about the measurables not matching up to the production at college well i've told you before and i'll say it again i'm going to die on the dean hill that's fine with me i'm going to i'm going to have him ranked too high he's going to get drafted way lower than where i rank him he's going to be sitting on the next available mcshay list for a long time come come uh, thursday night of the draft but i've been told by multiple people that they think there's a chance and, and in fact a couple teams said we have his teammate quay walker who's a really good player but he he, he's not dean on tape but he's longer he's faster and they think there's more upside that they have quay walker rated ahead of dean which was i I don't know if it was shocking to me because it's been building and i kind of thought that something like that could come out when i talked to teams but i just don't see that on tape the best player on that defense every single game is nicobe dean yet there's a legitimate chance as you were alluding to mel that he's still on the board when we we finish up Thursday night and waiting all day Friday to get his name called probably in the first five, seven picks. There's a legitimate chance that Kobe Dean isn't a first-round pick, and that blows my mind. So I've told you before that I'm not a huge fan of the pre-draft narrative around the NFL, and part of what McShay references there is one of the reasons why. I mean, can you imagine being an NFL draft scout who's saying – 
well, I know that he looks good on film, but his arms are a little short. Like, I, I know that, that the production's there, but the production doesn't match the measurables that I think are important. So, therefore, I'm going to trust my own, like, uh, obsession with measurables more so than a guy that's just going to go out there and getting it done on film day in and day out. And that, to me, is one of the things that kind of frustrates me sometimes about the pre-draft narrative around the nfl is that some of these draft guys gms things like that are sort of more in love with their own intelligence than we are they're more impressed with themselves than than, than many uh, of us are impressed with them i'm talking about the guys that make these decisions for a living and listen i've told you a million times i think that individual player evaluations are always going to be about a 50 50 proposition i'm not willing to stake my own certainly life on you know the idea that nicobe dean's a great player but if you value his if you value his measurables more so than his production what's actually put on film i think that's just kind of a silly thing all the way around there however one more quick point on this and then i want to move on and talk about something else for a moment what you hear from Todd McShay there also backs up what we said yesterday of in light of, you know, Marius Mims transferring and Jermaine Burton transferring and some of these guys transferring what we believe to get out of the shadow of other players in Georgia so they can go somewhere else and be and be a star so they can go somewhere else and get the attention they feel like they deserve that somehow it's a negative to be in an ensemble cast at UGA where you're in the shadow of somebody else. That does not seem to be a problem for Quay Walker right now, who did play as Todd McShay said there in the shadow of N'Kobe Dean but that's not hurting uh, Quay Walker's draft status whatsoever and a guy like Trayvon Walker who played on a defensive line that included guys like Jordan Davis and Devontae White guys who may also be first round picks and you know played on a defense with a guy like N'Kobe Dean who was a national award winner you know you know uh, Trayvon Walker's stats were harmed by that he didn't have as much production at Georgia as he might have had somewhere else but he might still go number one overall pay close attention to all this to anybody who's out there telling you well hey you got to go do what uh you know Jermaine Johnson did you got to leave Georgia go get better stats that way you can prove you're a better player better stats don't necessarily make you a better player if you want the stats that's fine it's your choice to live your life how you want to but the notion you have to get out of the shadow of other great players to prove that you're a great player that doesn't seem to be an issue for quay walker or trayvon walker or other guys there at uga we'll see how the draft handles nicobe dean but it's important to note in the narrative of all of this that the georgia players who are asked to share glory share attention share the spotlight while at uga that's still working out pretty well from an NFL draft standpoint. Probably important to keep that in mind. Interesting pre-draft chatter as it relates to UGA. Now, let me shift gears and talk about something completely different for a moment. Speaking of Mims and Clay Webb, who uh, have put their name in the transfer portal, we talked about that a lot yesterday. Kind of an interesting time for UGA on social media to be highlighting its brand new offensive line coach, uh, Stacey Serrells. Now, I think that the Serrells chatter here is that when you look at the Mims decision to leave, the Clay Webb decision to leave, this doesn't really involve Serrells all that much. I mean, if we're going to be honest here, for those of us to try to pay close attention to the rumor bill, there had been plenty of chatter about Mims maybe not being happy with his role at Georgia or not being happy with something at Georgia, you know, before Stacey Serrells even got here. I have not really heard any credible voice point a finger of blame at Serrells for the Mims departure and the Clay Webb thing. That's been going on now for a number of years. But still, nonetheless, kind of interesting timing for Georgia to kind of put a little bit of a spotlight with its social media on Serrells. I want to show you some of him mic'd up at practice. This is from the Georgia social media team. And then there's another point I want to make about Serrells before we move on this georgia social media from yesterday we'll get it right let's go let's go what do you got to say uh we'll be over here let's go 
Turn it on, baby! We gotta have a cue so yeah, it's pretty good. That's probably enough there on that. So I, I like it when Georgia does these kinds of things. First of all, it just to me seems like a practice field, being around a team, whether it's coach, player. That to me always just seems like about the best possible thing you could ever do. Just so much fun to be able to be in that environment. And Georgia does a pretty good job of making that seem really fun with the way that it kind of gives us these small snippets of coaches mic'd up or players during scrimmages or whatever else that they give us. However, here's the quick point on Sarrells, which is, I don't blame him, nor do I think anybody else does, for Amarius Mims leaving. But I do think that puts a little bit more pressure on Georgia to have a great offensive line this year. First of all, I think there was already a little bit of pressure on Georgia to have have you know greatness return to that position group again. I thought the 2021 National Championship offensive line was probably good. I don't think it was great. I don't think Georgia's had a great offensive line in either of the last two years. And so when you think about this year, how the profile for this upcoming Georgia team is going to be a little different, you do lose a lot on defense. That's been well documented by, by many. You don't have a playmaker on offense like George Pickens anymore. You do lose key leaders from your running back position. Guys like James Cook, Zamir White, they're not here. So with all the talk about what Georgia doesn't have anymore, finding out what you do have and accentuating what you do think has the potential to be a great strength for you, that's really important. And that was important for Georgia along the offensive line before Mims left. But now that he is gone and now that he takes that immense talent that he has somewhere else, making sure that the guys that you had pegged to be ahead of him on the depth chart and for right now that was Warren McClendon at right tackle and it was a guy like Broderick Jones a year older seemingly emerging at left tackle making sure you get the most out of them there probably is a little bit more pressure to do that if we're just being honest here and so Stacey Serrells as shown on that Georgia practice video there seems to be pretty comfortable in all that role he seems to be enjoying himself at UGA practice right now and my feelings about the current Georgia offensive line are actually not changed that much with um, Amarius Mims no longer here. I certainly wanted him to be a part of the best five here this year. Was hoping that was going to be the case. Still feel like this group can come together and be very strong even without him. But but the but the extra tension now coming on that position of, okay, seemingly Georgia was, was viewing some other players as being ahead of him right now. Making sure you get the most out of those guys is going to probably be pretty important as we head towards G-Day on Saturday and then the season to come after that. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Good morning to you, and thanks for being with us. No matter how you get to us, live on video, 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. Uh, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and a podcast wherever you find them, the Apple Player, Spotify, Google, WorldFamousDogNation.com, all kinds of ways to listen to the podcast. However you connect with us, we're just really glad that you do it. And we have a big, big thanks to give to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, ESOG, fun to do business with for a couple of reasons. First of all, they are longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily, and so many of you have been so gracious to support those who help support us, and I am truly grateful for that. And when it comes to ESOG, it's not only that, they're also proud partners of UGA there as well. So when you do business with Engineered Solutions of Georgia, you are also doing business with a big-time supporter of UGA Athletics. That is a really cool thing. Here's what else is cool. When it comes to a couple of the big major challenges that a homeowner could face, Engineered Solutions of Georgia is right there with you to help you and support you during that situation. You see water coming in where it's not supposed to be. Crawl space. 
uh, garage, basement. That's what engineered solutions of Georgia's waterproofing efforts can help prevent. They can help keep your house protected from water getting where it's not supposed to be. Or those cracks you may have seen in your wall or down in the basement, the foundation. A sign of maybe a substantial foundation issue, ESOG can also step up to help you with that uh, there as well. They are a solutions-based company. They got the word solution right there in their name. They got two full-time engineers on staff. These are smart people who do good work for you. So make sure you check them out. The number, very easy to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG now. That is 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Good to have them with us as a part of Dog Nation Daily today. Before we are done today, something really cool is going to happen. Tomorrow, as many of you are aware, we're broadcasting live from Sport and Social, the great sports bar right there in the Battery Atlanta, right next to Truist Park. Braves got a day game tomorrow against the Washington Nationals. It's Champions Week for the Braves. That means the World Series trophy and the Georgia National Championship trophy are going to be at the same place at the same time tomorrow. And if you have a ticket to the game, you get your picture taken with both of those trophies. It is going to be an unbelievable day. I'm excited to be a part of that. And guess what? On today's show, we're going to give away three pairs of tickets for you to be a part of what we're doing tomorrow and a part of what the Atlanta Braves are doing as they get the season started in style. By the way, how cool does the like, in, you know, right here, you know, being Georgia folks, we're not always big fans of gold, but there's been a lot of gold in our life lately. The gold national championship trophy, the gold World Series trophy. Have you seen the gold outline the Braves have on the A on their hats and helmets right now? It looks so cool in honor of the World Series uh, championship trophy. So that's going to be on full display there tomorrow excited about being in the battery and truest park for all that tomorrow and we're going to give away some tickets later on so stick with us for the full show we'll tell you here coming up in a few minutes how you can potentially be a winner of those tickets we'll do that here in a little bit before that though and before we get connor riley as a part of a kroger fresh take let's go around the doghouse and as i told you before there's a phrase that i like learned growing up in school about the like the monroe doctrine maybe i know what that is if you really put me to the test i might be able to tell you but the point is i know the phrase exists so whether i know what the monroe doctrine is or not i feel like we have a pretty well established kirby doctrine right now the way in which kirby smart wants to run georgia football and the formula for success that helps explain in part why georgia won the most recent national championship and i think the kirby doctrine as i understand it allows georgia to draw a pretty sharp contrast with some of its would-be national contenders here is what i believe the kirby doctrine is i believe kirby smart wants very talented players and he wants to make them tougher and make them better that is what i believe the kirby doctrine is talented players make them tougher talented players develop them and make them better that is the kirby smart doctrine and in contrast to some other national championship contenders i think that it helps explain maybe why georgia emerged last season and maybe what keeps it in the conversation for this upcoming season there as well because here's the thing about the kirby doctrine as i see it you can't have one without the other you can't have hey, we're going to get tough guys. We're going to make get hardworking guys. We're going to build our team around that. Well, if they're not talented, you're out of luck. Or we're going to get superstar talented guys. And listen, we're going to bring in, as we talked about yesterday, the idea of a finished product. We're going to bring in a bunch of finished products. We're going to bring in a bunch of superstar talented guys. And if we got enough of that talent, then everything else is going to take care of itself. Well, not always. That's not, that's not always the case. That, that you got to have talented players. That's the requisite for competing. 
but you got to find a way to make those talented players a little tougher, make those talented players a little better. You got to find a way to do a value add. And if you can do that, then you have a chance to truly compete or in 2021, as Georgia did, win the national championship. Let me give you a couple of counterexamples here for a moment. Let's listen to Nick Saban here. This is Nick Saban on the arrival of Jermaine Burton as a transfer wide receiver to the program. And listen, we like Jermaine to the extent that his interests don't you know, conflict with Georgia's. We kind of wish Jermaine well. Obviously, he's a, uh, a, a protege of Terrence Edwards. We love Terrence. So I don't have a bad word to say about Jermaine Burton. But when Nick Saban talked about Jermaine Burton transferring to Alabama, I think that Saban gave you a little bit of a window into what the Saban doctrine is right now. A little different than the Kirby doctrine. I think the Saban doctrine uh, a little, a little different. And when Saban talked about the arrival of Jermaine Burton, I think he gave you a little bit of a window into what the uh, what the Saban doctrine is right now. This was Saban from a few weeks ago. You know, Jermaine Burton was somebody that we recruited out of high school that we thought was a really, really good player. Um, he had a fairly productive, you know, year at, at Georgia. Um, they have a lot of good players at his position, and um, you know, he had some production this year. Um, but, you know, probably might have seen a better opportunity because we're a little bit more wide open and throw the ball more with a good quarterback. Uh, that may have been his intention. But, you know, we feel like, you know, we lost, you know, both starting receivers and Slade, um, you know, two to the draft and, and Slade. So, um, you know, to get a more experienced player that has some playing time in this league, uh, probably is a good thing uh, for us and we like his ability and you know hopefully he'll uh, be able to be very productive for us yeah once again no, no, around here we have no nothing nothing bad to say about Jermaine Burton but I do think the Saban quote there is pretty indicative of what the Saban doctrine is right now hey come here and get stats we're going to be productive you can come here we have a good quarterback we're going to throw the ball we're going to make you a superstar you know it's basically leaning into your talent alone matters you're kind of a finished product and that's all kind of fine and well if you're Jamison Williams you transfer in you have a great season the way that he did coming in from Ohio State but what if you're Jai Hall what if you're told all these things of, hey, your talent alone is all that really matters. Come here. You'll be a superstar. You'll get stats. You'll get glory. And then when that doesn't happen, guess what? You become kind of disgruntled pretty fast. It almost seems like late in Saban's career, as he leans more in the direction of talent as opposed to hard work, that the kinds of players that he's attracting the program, such as Hall, are the kinds of players that Saban himself kind of becomes a little dissatisfied in. When you are selling glory, when you're selling fame when you were selling stats and productivity when guys don't get that they're going to feel like they were kind of sold on a bill of goods they're going to send a sold on a on a raw deal so once again if we establish the kirby doctrine is uh very good players who are going to be asked to work hard make themselves tougher make themselves better it almost seems like the saving part of this leans more in the direction of hey let's bring in talented players and let's figure it out after that Whereas there's kind of a way to be on the other side of that, too. We gave you the Dabo Swinney quote yesterday. I'll give this to you again. If Saban is guilty of kind of leaning more in the direction of, hey, bring in talented players and we'll make them into superstars. We won't ask quite as much of them as they're asking from these guys at Georgia right now. It's almost like Dabo is like veering way too much in the other direction here a little bit. The quote from him when he was asked about the transfer portal, we read this yesterday, was, my transfer portal is right there in that locker room because if I'm constantly going out every year and adding guys from the transfer portal, I'm telling all those guys in that locker room that I don't believe in them. 
Uh, we're also not doing our jobs and coaches, recruiters for bringing in a bunch of transfers. So it's almost like Dabo's like, hey, I'm not worried about talent. I'm not worried about, you know, I just, I just want guys that work in my system. I just want guys that fit in well in this locker room. And, you know, if you're willing to come here and be a hard worker, you know, we're going to make you into a good player. We just want guys that fit in well here at Clemson. It's almost like Dabo is disregarding the level of talent required to compete the highest level. Dabo's not as aggressive as a recruiter's other coaches are. Dabo's not as willing to embrace the transfer portal, certainly as a guy like Nick Saban is, or even as much as a guy like Kirby Smart has been. It's almost like Dabo is disregarding the talent part of the equation that I described a moment ago for Kirby Smart, whereas a guy like Nick Saban is maybe disregarding the way in which you have to ask something from the talented players in your program. Ask them to buy in, make themselves better. You can't necessarily always treat them like they are finished products. So ultimately that's kind of where i see things for kirby smart and listen there's no guarantee this always works not every talented player is going to want to buy into what you're asking from them and in some cases your ability to get the most out of these talented players maybe that's going to be at times maybe a little bit lacking there as well but when you look at why georgia won a national championship last year when you look at what could make georgia a national championship contender in the future that to me is the kirby doctrine bring in very talented players a lot of very high four and five star rated recruits ask them to get tougher ask them to get better push them in that regard help train them in that regard both sides of that coin to me is the recipe for success for georgia football and important to keep in mind as we get ready for the start of an upcoming season again here this year so a lot going on around uga uh we'll give away the braves tickets uh later on that's going to be really fun we'll look at the mims transfer the clay web transfer and a little bit of a preview of uh, g day on tap there as well let's keep the conversation going right now it's a tuesday that means connor riley kroger fresh take with him glad to have him and all of you with us on dog nation daily here today from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider so we'll say hello to connor riley uh connor had some good stuff here over the course of the last few days about a pretty newsy time around georgia couple of former elite recruits on the offensive line entering the transfer portal i think both these stories received a little bit differently because the obviously the mims thing probably more at the forefront of our mind a little bit right now so, Connor, I'll go pick, uh, big picture with you, and we'll kind of you know drill down to the small details after that. What did you make of the Mims transfer, and kind of you know what this means for Mims, where this leaves Georgia, and everything else kind of in between? I'm actually a little disappointed, but yeah, you didn't ask me what the Monroe Doctrine is. Cause I actually know the answer to this. Uh, what is the Monroe Doctrine then? By because uh, you are obviously a very smart, very uh, educated young man. So, what is the Monroe Doctrine? So you in the audience probably know the Monroe Doctrine as another name. It is the Manifest Destiny. It is essentially the Monroe Doctrine in the 19th century was the plan for the United States to expand westward and and, and snare as much land as possible in the western part of the United States. Obviously, you had Louisiana Purchase in the early 1800s under Thomas Jefferson. Uh, The Monroe Doctrine later on in that early part of the 19th century was sort of the expansion of that and and moving people out there and and taking over those parts of the land. Uh, The uh, UGA education paying off for one uh, Connor Riley. So uh, very good stuff there on that. Um, As far as the MIMS part of this, though, what do you think uh, about all of that? Yeah, so this is just to me, it's the reality of of swimming in these waters and doing business this way. I, I think this actually sort of in another way, mirrors Brenton Cox and his situation and where he ultimately ended up and him transferring out 
of the program. Georgia's recruited incredibly well in the offensive line in recent seasons, much like it was recruiting very well at the outside linebacker position. And in back-to-back classes, Georgia brought in Aziz Ojolari, Jermaine Johnson, Adam Anderson, and Nolan Smith, in addition to Brenton Cox into that outside linebacker room. And, you know, if you're a Georgia fan asking how talented are those guys and how productive were they in their times at Georgia, you might quite honestly rank Cox fifth among there. And I think with Mims, you know, he's in no doubt in my mind going to go probably to the Miami or Florida state and go be, you know, a multi-year starter for that team. But in 2022, he's not better than Warren McClendon. He's not better than Broderick Jones. And so when you're recruiting as well as Georgia is, and you're celebrating the success of those recruitments, and we all have the understanding of what Georgia needs to do to go out and land these types of players, you also understand at the same point in time, you're not always going to be able to get them on the field as much as you would like. And while, you know, it's not exactly the same thing as a quarterback position. I also think it's not the same thing as say a wide receiver or a linebacker position. Georgia isn't rotating Broderick Jones in and out of the game. They're not doing that with Warren McClendon over the course of the game. So well, sure you, you can get in as a six offensive lineman. It's also pretty clear to me that Marius Mims was not really all that interested in moving to guard because I do think Georgia absolutely would have put him in the conversation there. And I think when Kirby Smart spoke last week and Mims' name didn't come up, I think that made it pretty clear that playing time was going to be tough to come by for Marius Mims this season. And when you're a player as talented as he is, I think I can certainly understand him wanting to have greater playing time and go make an impact somewhere else this year. And when it comes to his talent, I think it's immense. I'm, as a Georgia fan, sad to see him go. You've heard me say a million times that I was hoping he would slide over to guard and find a way to be on the field for Georgia here this year. But that just for whatever reason, as you touched on, didn't seem to be happening. So with that said, I, I don't mind being blunt about this, that if you're the kind of player who thinks you should be starting right away or think you should be rolling in NIL money right away, if you're more worried about that than you are your chance to develop as a player and actually get better, to put yourself in, 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 the, in the realm of possibility of being a future millionaire, if you're more worried about the short-term stuff than the long-term stuff, then you're probably not a good fit at Georgia. And I say that as a guy that's sad to see Mims leave, but I can't, if I'm Kirby Smart, I can't lower the standard to keep you happy. I just can't do that. And over the course of the long haul, I am more than happy with a few five-star transfers, even though I don't want those to occur. I'm more than happy to allow them to occur if it means keeping the standard in place. As I said before, the Kirby doctrine of talented players are going to be pushed to be tougher. Talented players are going to be developed to be better. That's more important to me than keeping a Marius Mims happy. And I say with that with all due respect to Marius Mims. Yeah, I, and John Stinchcomb sort of touched on this in your show yesterday. I think it shows that Georgia feels great about what it has in Project Jones here. And, and I went back and watched the uh, interview we did with Project, I think about two weeks ago. And, you know, I covered him as a recruit and, and interviewed him a couple of times and saw him at an All-American game. Going back and watching the interview, and I encourage you to watch it, it's on the Dog Nation YouTube feed. I was struck by the maturity that Broderick Jones had showed there in that interview, sort of what he had said both about himself and his own journey, because I think Broderick Jones, better than anybody, understands what Amarius Mims was going through and working through in terms of, you know, there's not a clear and obvious path to playing time for me right now. You know, I'm sitting behind another five-star prospect in Warren McClendon once again. And, you know, you sort of touched on this earlier, the way the 2021 season played out, Roger Jones ends up starting four games, I think played a huge role in that national championship game. I've written about that before. 
and has now positioned himself not just to be one of the better players, I think, on this 2022 Georgia team, but also be one of the key leaders in, in really showing the value of, hey, you know, I could have very easily transferred somewhere else this time a year ago. I stuck it out. I worked hard. I got into a position to better myself. And then, by the way, the playing results on the field happened to show up there. So I think while, yes, the Mims news, it's not exactly great news for Georgia. And I think it does put a, a greater strain on how they have to go out and, A, recruit that offensive line position this year, specifically a tackle. But, B, also how guys like, say, Ernest Green and Alu Bad develop because there's also a very real world where Roger Jones and Warren McLennan have a ton of success this season and are off to the NFL next year. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad that you wrote the Broderick Jones piece that you did. First of all, I thought it was really good, but I just thought it was really well-timed because I think that's a big part of the story. And listen, I'm not going to dump on Mims here, but it's important to point out, there was an opportunity for playing time, and a different five-star is the guy that won that opportunity for playing time. And if you want to go back a year ago, we were asking questions about, you know, what's, what's going on with Broderick Jones? How come we're not hearing more about him? We were asking those questions during the season. I think it was, what, before the Tennessee game, maybe, where, well, Kirby was asked pretty directly about Broderick Jones, about playing the tackle position. And Kirby was pretty coy about all of that, about why they weren't moving Salyer off the tackle spot. Now, maybe they were slow to do this with Broderick. Maybe they should have done it sooner. I, I don't know. But, but I mean, it's not like at one point in time there weren't questions about Broderick Jones, but when the opportunity existed, national title game, and now starting position for the upcoming year, he appeared to have seized that moment in January and now in the, in the, in the midst of seizing that moment for this upcoming season. That could have been a Marius Mims as far as I know. It just wasn't. Jones just took the opportunity that was there. Yeah, and I think Roger, you know, one of my favorite answers that he gave recently, he was asked, well, what are some of the things you want to keep working on? And Kirby Smart has said, and we've all sort of long known, you know, when it comes to Broderick's game, pass blocking just comes so effortlessly to him because of his athleticism and the way his body is built. And we always sort of knew that the physical aspects of the game were going to be the ones that maybe took a little bit longer for Broderick to grasp and to really take a hold of. I love that Project Jones came out and said, hey, I still need to be more physical. I need to work on my pad level on every play. I need to be a physical mauler in the run game there. I love the fact that even though I don't want to arrive to such a cliche, but a guy who has very clearly positioned himself very well for this Georgia team is still saying, hey, the thing that I know I had to work on just to get on the field, I know that's the big area I have to keep improving on if I'm going to be the player that I end up being. And I think that really impressed me with what we've seen from Broderick Jones. So my take, my, my really big 10,000 foot takeaway from this, much like I think it maybe was with Brenton Cox when he transferred away, it's not, you know, oh, this five stars walking out the door. What does that mean? It's, Hey, Georgia probably got some, a, a really talented player like Aziz Ojolari and Broderick Jones at that position to step in there and prevent those players from getting on the field in the first place. It's the thing though, is like, Georgia losing Brenton Cox never really became an issue because Aziz Ojolari was very good and because, you know, Georgia's gone on to win the national championship since then. Uh, when you lose a five-star, it's fine, but you better be good. Uh, you know, it's like Georgia wasn't starting a Marius Mims, so which is – that's fine. That's your choice. But the guys you are starting better be very, very good here because, I mean, I had a commenter mention this yesterday of like – and I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a moment. Like what the commenter said was, hey, are we sure that George is making the right evaluations here? Because they were about to start Warren Erickson at center last year over Cedric Von Prahm before Erickson got hurt. And in retrospect, given how good SVP played, that would have appeared to have been a mistake, which maybe is oversimplifying things. I don't know. 
But it does kind of point to what I said about Stacey Searles a moment ago. Searles takes, in my mind, none of the blame for, for Marius Mims leaving. But it does add to the pressure of, if you weren't going to start him, that's fine. But the five guys you are starting, they better be beasts. I mean, they better go out there and dominate the line of scrimmage. Otherwise, it is going to lead to more questions about, well, how come you weren't starting the guy that looks the way that Marius Mims does and is clearly going to be coveted by other programs? Yeah, yeah I, I think, think my other answer to the question is, is what was Mims' desire to play guard? Because I do, I tend to believe that Georgia, you know, we, hear, we heard so much last year about wanting to play Georgia's best five offensive linemen. I do probably believe that Amarius Mims would have been one of Georgia's best five offensive linemen. It would have been very close. I think Xavier Trust is going to be a very good player for Georgia this year. And so, you know, how much did he really want to compete and win that job? Uh, that's something we'll probably never get an answer to there. But one other thing, you know, in terms of, you know, you need five beats in the evaluations there. One one thing I do that I saw this comment brought up online, you know, Stacey Searles is the second offensive line coach to come through Georgia in Mims' time here at Georgia. And if a year ago Matt Luke didn't necessarily feel all that great about Mims and him being, you know, sort of a contributor, even saying that Roger Jones role, and, and Searles didn't as well, you know, maybe there is something to that and the fact that you do have different points of view when it comes to that yeah. in terms of, okay, I've, I have multiple offensive line coaches who tell me Warren McClendon and Roger Jones at this point in time are superior options to Amarius Mims. I do sort of, that's where I fall in line with that. I think it's a fair point. Quickly on Clay Webb, I mean, this to me just seems to be pretty simple. He was a little undersized when he came in here and – he just kind of never got bigger. I think that injuries probably hurt him there in that regard. But I know this sounds like, you know, uh, I guess revisionist history, but we said this at the time. This was a very different kind of recruit for Sam Pittman. Pittman was bringing all these giants, these towers. And that's just never really what Clay Webb was. He's a little shorter. He's only about 300 pounds when he came here. And you probably just got to be a little bit bigger than that. And it seems like he had a hard time, you know, growing into the kind of role that uh, SEC level, Georgia level offensive lineman supposed to grow into. I mean, it literally just never happened for him. I mean, on the field, we just never heard a word about him the entire time that he was here. And listen, I hope he goes somewhere else and, you know, finds the success that I'm sure he wants. But it's just really weird how much he was talked about as a recruit and how quiet it was the moment he signed here. Yeah, and our various, you know, Dog Nation shows, platforms, commenters are going to have to find a new, you know, I think most popular question because for a long time it was, well, what's up with Clay Webb? And the reality is, I think you sort of touched on it there. He never bulked up or was able to get his weight to a point where he's, you know, 315, 325 pounds, the sort of requisite frame you need to be an SEC offensive lineman or at the very least an offensive lineman that Georgia can count on. And, you know, you mentioned he is a little bit there on the smaller side and, you know, again, this all goes back to your recruiting reputation, I think goes on to define you, you know, his finals were Clemson, Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and all very good programs that wanted him recruiting industry saw as such. Hey, the guy's probably a five-star prospect. And when in reality, I think you go back and you compare body size and you compare things of that nature to it. He was just never really that level of prospect, that level of player. And ultimately I think that went on to define his time at Georgia. And again, you know, you bring up the fact that he was just a very different recruit from Sam Pittman and thought, Hey, maybe we'll take a chance on this guy given the talent level, the perceived talent level. And the reality is uh, he just never really seemed to fit with what Georgia and granted they've had multiple offensive line coaches in his time. And I think a Sam Pittman line looked very different from say a Matt Luke line. 
but he never really factored into either one of those. So I, I think this has been something that probably brewing for a long time. And ultimately you hope he goes to a place where he is maybe able to get himself on the field and find playing time and, and, and better his career there. Because I do think, you know, the biggest victim in, in this sort of situation with Webb is just the fact that the recruiting expectations were so high for him. I think it was going to be impossible for him to ever meet that. And let me just say this very quickly as a way of tying these two stories together, that the way in which Webb kind of fell out of favor is a reminder that seniority right here doesn't count for much. So this idea that, well, you know, Marius Mims was only a blah, blah, blah. And so therefore he has to wait, you know, you know, two more years for his moment or something like that. That's not really the way things work. There are plenty of guys younger than Clay Webb that moved past him on the depth chart very, very quickly. And so, you know, this notion that there was no path for Mims, I mean, I think other stories along that offensive line show you how not true that is, that, you know, if as Kirby said in the past, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And so when you talk about, you know, some of why Mims was not playing, as you said correctly, under two different offensive line coaches, some of that has got to be laid at the feet of Mims himself. And, you know, let's even look at Warren McClendon here because he was a guy who, yeah, he, he started most of the games as a registered freshman in 2020. But I don't think anybody was saying going into the 2020 season that Warren McClendon was going to be your starting right tackle. And I'll go one step further. Remember, he did not start that first game of the year against Arkansas. That was an Owen Condon start there that day. And Warren McClendon just kept working. He kept getting better. He found himself on the field, found playing time, and went from there and became, I think, a very good player and a player who is going to start the season as a borderline all-SEC player. And it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if he ended the season as an all SEC player, a guy who, again, I think similar to Broderick Jones, you know, saw that, Hey, I'm going to have to keep working hard and keep getting better. And ultimately did that and got to where, Hey, I'm on the field. And now that I'm on the field, I'm not going to give that up because I know what it took for me to get here. And I'm going to keep working harder to get that and earn that playing time on a down by down and game by game basis. I want to ask you about G day. First, let me remind folks, this is our Kroger fresh day with Connor Riley here. By the way, we're getting ready for Easter on Sunday. Don't forget that with everything else going on. Easter is Sunday and you got some great Easter dinner bundles there from our friends at Kroger to help make the big meal. The family get together a lot easier for you. The Easter bundles include ham, turkey, green bean casserole. Boy, for those of you getting ready for lunch, it's going to make you hungry. Scallop potatoes, rice casserole, Hawaiian rolls and Apple pie, it all starts at just $55. That's a great saving there and a great meal. You can go to yourorderonline.com or you can talk to a a Kroger Deli associate for more on that. It's yourorderonline.com or Kroger Deli associate and you can get your order placed for Sunday. What a great day Easter is and what a great time to be celebrating the family. A lot to uh, be gracious about and great for this time of year and celebrating all that on Easter makes a lot of sense. Connor, however, before Easter on Sunday, business for the dogs to take care of there on Saturday, what are you interested in seeing from G-Day? I think there's two pass casters that I'm going to be interested to see how involved they are. And granted, you know, Georgia's depth, in the, especially in the back end, you know, the secondary and even the inside linebacker position isn't great right now. I'm interested in what we see out of Dominic Blaylock and Arik Gilbert. Maybe those are the easy answers because of the storylines and where they got to and, and where they are this spring. But by all accounts, from what I've heard and, and, and what I've learned, I think those guys have probably had two of the better springs of those guys on the Georgia team. And, you know, two weeks, I think it was two weeks ago, we came on and talked about the quarterback position. Is it something? Is it nothing? I was leaning more towards it's nothing. And it sort of seemed to play out that it is that way. I'm still interested in what we see out of Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff, but more, and not even so much, you know, what are their stats, but physically, how do Dominic Bailey and Enrique Gilbert look? Cause I think that's where so many of the questions exist for these guys and the time off that they've had and the time away from the football field 
if they come out to me and they look like they're full speed and they look like they're playing and you combine that with this offensive line and I feel really confident in what Georgia has and Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh, you know, it starts to look like a Georgia offense that is going to be really talented and quite frankly, really good this coming season. And while yes, they have a lot of replacements to make on the defensive side of the ball. And I think how guys like Jamon Dumas Johnson, Keely Ringo continue to develop is going to be very important. I really look at that offensive side of the ball. And if you tell me we get a healthy Dominic Blaylock, a healthy Arik Gilbert, along with a healthy Brock Bowers, when he comes back, Arian Smith, Kiaris Jackson, this passing offense, I think can be really strong. Another year under Todd Monk. And I'm really interested to see how those guys look. Cause if you have those pieces in place, I believe you can have a very potent Georgia offense this season that is going to be able to carry the load for defense as it sort of figures it gets the sort of experience it needs to, by the end of the year, be, I think, a difference-making defense. Oh, I will be doing post-game show after the game on Saturday. You'll have plenty of post-game content. We'll all be doing this for the next few weeks after the game. I think you touch on some pretty important stuff there. A big game from Eric Gilbert would probably get the most excitement from fans, I believe. A big game from Dominic Blaylock, I think, would be pretty close on that for different reasons. Gilbert's a guy we haven't seen. Blaylock's a guy we haven't seen in a while. So if you think about like big, bold print headlines, a lot of UGA fan chatter, I think Blaylock, I think Gilbert would be that. I sort of think a big game from Kendall Milton might get you there. We don't really think of like G days as being like, you know, big showcases for running backs typically. But I think a big game from Milton might kind of get you there on that, too. Um, but there's no doubt that in terms of what would generate the most fan reaction, I'm not talking about the, like the typical, you know, quarterback nonsense, but um, but the, what would generate the most fan reaction, a big day from Blaylock, a big day from Gilbert. I might put Milton in that category because he's a, a guy that a lot of folks have a lot of excitement about, too. But if you're thinking about this just in terms of what kind of gets folks talking, what gets the crowd popping, I believe I believe a Blaylock and Gilbert might be the tops on that list, I believe. Yeah, and with defense, you know, because we'll touch on it here, it's just so hard for those guys to sort of stand out in spring games because they are geared towards offenses and, and those guys and putting up big numbers like that. And, you know, we've seen all the time there have been false equivalencies when it comes with spring games. You know, you, you there are a long list of guys that had big performances that never really backed it up come the fall season. But then I think you can also look at a guy – like an Adane Mitchell, who obviously saw an inflated target share because of the injuries at wide receiver last spring. But that ended up transferring to the fall. And so I'm interested to see maybe some of those guys, maybe like I'd say a Denylon Morissette uh, on the defensive side of the ball, a Xavier Story, though obviously he's a bigger name recruit uh, coming out than say an Adane Mitchell was. Uh, you know, Kamari Lasseter is a guy we've talked about a good bit. How does he look on Saturday? Uh, so some of those guys out there that we know our names, but, you know, they're not the known quantities yet. I could see them maybe having big days and saying, hey, maybe this guy is going to play a bigger role come this fall than perhaps some of us had thought at one point. In time. Let, me, let me do two things on this quickly. I think Mitchell's a very interesting guy because it was a breakout for him last year, kind of affirming what had been said about him so much during spring practice. I don't believe that Mitchell is a star yet with Georgia fans. I think he was overshadowed a little bit by Lad McConkey a year ago. I, I said a lot during the season that the Mitchell story was as cool as the emergence of Lad McConkey, and yet it seemed like McConkey was just kind of getting more attention there for a little while. Do you think that Mitchell could leave G-Day as the clear wide receiver one in the eyes of Georgia fans and that Mitchell could maybe have this – be careful how I say this, could maybe have a similar level of like uh, a relevance for Georgia fans that say George Pickens would have had in previous years. That, that Could Georgia fans exit G-Day as excited about Mitchell as they kind of previously have been about a guy like, say, George Pickens 
Is that on the table as a possibility for him, given how he might play in front of the watchful eyes of fans on Saturday? I do think so. The spectacular catches have never been the issue for Adon Amos. You think back to the national title game where he had the 40-yard touchdown catch from Stetson Bennett. You think of some of the plays he made in last year's G-Day game, the touchdown he had in the back of the end zone there. I think the thing that I'm looking most for from Adon Mitchell in this game is just, does he make the routine catches? Because he has had some issues with drops. If he's doing that, if he's nailing the little things, I believe the talent is there from Mitchell to really emerge as sort of that star physical outside receiver. You know, again, he, I don't think he's going to do what George Pickens did in terms of a raw talent standpoint, because I thought George Pickens was really special in terms of his ability to just go up and get a football but for him to be – for Adonai Mitchell to be that physical receiver on the outside and how he might be able to help and play there, I do think that is a possibility. But the thing with me, with Mitchell, it's not the spectacular catches. If he finishes with four catches for 102 yards and two touchdowns, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised there from him. I think the bigger thing is, is he doing consistently enough the little things? Because if he's doing that, then that means that I have all the confidence that he's going to be a big-time player for this Georgia team this season said this a million times i just think the spring games are a showcase of the offense i think the defense has basically being asked to play in handcuffs so pass rush you learn nothing about i think for the most part i think even like pass coverage stuff you know i think they're being asked to do pretty basic stuff you're not really seeing the best of that really either but i do think it's a day for a tackling machine to kind of emerge and for a guy like say jamon dumas johnson who we wondered you know how does he kind of fit into the to the N'Kobe Dean, Roquan Smith mold of, you know, hey, next big interior linebacker. Obviously, Smile Monin's going to have some of that come this summer. But in terms of uh, JDJ or the guy they call Pop, I do think that he could have an interesting spotlight on him come Saturday. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I think that might even just be more so much because they really only have three healthy linebackers for this spring game with Xavier Sori and Jalen Walker being the other one. And Jalen Walker has only been here for about two months at this point in time. So I think those guys are going to get a ton of reps. And we've heard great things about Pop basically at every turn this spring. And I'll be interested to see how he goes about and backs that up because I think he's definitely a guy who, you know, I've been on him very early in terms of what he's going to be able to bring to this team. And this is really the first time he's had a starter's role and it's been pointed out the last time he played consistent football on a down-by-down basis was his junior year in high school back in 2019 because, again, he did not play high school football his final year up there in Maryland. So I'm really interested to see how he goes about getting experience and getting rest because that's, as we've said time and time again, the thing that Georgia is going to have the toughest time replacing all the pure snaps and football experience that a Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, and Channing Tindall brought. J.D. Jay is going to need to get as much of that early on as he can at this Georgia defense. I'm not saying it's going to be generationally great, but if it's going to be a difference maker, like I think a lot of us think it will be at the end of the season, a lot of it is going to depend on how quickly these linebackers sort of get their feet in the pool, get in the deep end and are making those sort of experience plays that we saw in the Kobe Dean, those reads that we saw those guys make time and time again. All right, it's certainly be interesting to see. You've had some great stuff with the course of the last couple of weeks getting us ready for G-Day. I know you've got more on the way, including post-game there on Saturday. So I certainly appreciate your insight into all of that. Thanks for being here as part of our Kroger Fresh Take. And we'll look forward to speaking to you again very soon on this topic and a whole lot more. Yep, as, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So in kind of a long conversation there, I thought that at one point Connor really kind of distilled the Amarius Mims thing down to the like the thing that matters more so than anything else. The big question, was he offered the chance to play guard and did he not want to? Because that would tell you a lot right there about 
uh, a, a lot of things because you've heard me say this before. It's like you can't move Warren McClendon off right tackle. I mean, he's doing that job. Broderick Jones emerged in the national championship game. I want Broderick Jones playing left tackle. So I'm speaking as a fan here for a moment. I am happy with both of Georgia's tackles. I would like for Demarius Mims to have some role playing guard. I asked John directly yesterday, am I oversimplifying this? Because my large assumption has always been that, you know, not every guard could be a tackle, but any tackle could be a guard. I've obviously not played the position. Is that an oversimplification? John gave an interesting answer to that yesterday. But ultimately, that's what it kind of comes down to. And Connor said this, you know, what was the conversation about moving Mims to guard? Is there a reason that Georgia thought he couldn't? Is there a reason that Mims didn't want to? Um, but, but that would go a long way to explaining maybe why he wasn't on the field as one of Georgia's best five, at least likely to be that way for the upcoming season, barring injury and maybe helping explain why Mims feels like the grass is maybe greener going somewhere else here for the uh, upcoming season. So obviously there'll be plenty more talk about that in the time to come. We'll also give away our Braves tickets here in just a moment. I'm going to tell you how we're doing that. Something specific I need from you. We'll do that in about five minutes here. So make sure you're on board for that. And Let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and remind you that we're all going to be cruising with Royal Caribbean, at least a lot of us are, coming up just after G-Day, leaving from Port Canaveral on April 25th uh, on Independence of the Seas, going to Nassau on the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. I think we actually uh, have a uh, pretty good surprise coming up for the uh, event there at Perfect Day, Coco Cay, coming up uh, for our cruise. I'm actually really excited about this. Uh, We'll tell you more about that there. It's going to be really fun. So we'll do all that here coming up. The point is, is that, you know, at this point in time, it's probably, I mean, we probably just about sold out in terms of the uh, cruise and all of this. But if you hear us talking about, you know, the fun we're going to be having on Independence of the Seas, and you've heard me talking about my time on Harmony of the Seas going back a few weeks ago, trust me when I tell you, as you head towards the summer, this is a great time to be on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. They have just set the standard for entertainment on board. That's probably one of the things that I think I was maybe the most blown away by. I'd taken a bunch of cruises years ago, had not been in a while. The fun we had on board, live music, probably did, like at one point in time I was walking around, there were five different venues having played live music at the same time. And it's kind of like your own personal pub crawl with, you know, who, whoever you're with. You're just going to move from, you know, venue to venue, enjoy yourself a beverage, enjoy the music and have the fun, watch the shows. It's, it's it's so much fun. So if you want to be a part of your own Royal Caribbean cruise coming up the same way we're going to be coming up here in a couple of weeks, uh, check out our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. You can find them online, tcava.com, or give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. Book your own Royal Caribbean cruise, and you can do like we're going to be doing with Dog Nation here coming up pretty soon, having fun on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. So let me tell you a story real quickly and i'm gonna make a small point after that so it's kind of funny jonte cook is a uh, wide receiver four star for the uh, class of 2023 and he takes a visit to texas a&m and a video that he was a part of kind of goes viral where you know, he's got the a&m jersey on but he's like i still haven't seen any you know championship trophies any football trophies around here which obviously kind of plays into the narrative that's out there about texas a&m the fact that listen they've been a big program for a long time but in the, really in the entirety of my lifetime and even dating back prior to before i was born a&M basically has never won anything. I mean, it's kind of amazing to have as many fans they've had and as much of a place. It kind of like the big boy table in terms of like the revenue the program generates and everything else. But they don't win nothing. They haven't won anything. Uh, and uh, obviously Cook's statement kind of you know brings that to mind. But it also brings this to mind for me here for a moment too. I think you can make a case that Texas A&M is the most interesting team in the SEC for the upcoming season. Let me see if I can explain why here for a moment. There are like two very distinct camps out there for A&M. 
There are some people who think they can't win, that Jimbo Fisher is simply incapable of doing this, and A&M is destined to continue being the kind of middling-type program that they have recently been. And I would say that is statistically unlikely, not just because they had the number one recruiting class for, for 2022, but the previous year's recruiting success they've enjoyed, I just think mathematically it's almost impossible they're not eventually a true championship contender winning 11, 12 games in the regular season, making a push for the college football playoff. Every team that recruits as well as A&M has recruited eventually kind of does that. I think eventually that's likely to happen for A&M too. Unless there's some sort of artificial impediment that steps in and prevents that from happening. And when I think about what the potential artificial impediment to that could be, I can't help but notice there is a lot of pressure on A&M to do it quickly because of the way in which the number one class kind of came together or the perception of how that number one class came together. And while I believe that A&M is likely to have success eventually if they just let it play out, you almost wonder, well, what if it doesn't come very quickly this upcoming season? Does the level of panic that sets in prevent the natural progression towards success that I believe would eventually occur? And while long-term, you know, Texas A&M is probably in pretty good hands, y'all, the short-term story for Texas A&M this year I think is really very interesting. This is a talented roster, and they are likely set up well to handle whatever comes their way. But the A&M schedule this year is a little bit of a tricky path. Let me just give this to you very quick. I wish I had this to show you on the screen, but I don't. So let's start with, you know, Sam Houston to begin the year. Don't worry about that. But how about this? On back-to-back Saturdays, September 10th and then on September the 17th, A&M has what I would call two pretty tricky out-of-conference games. Both these games taking place at home. Uh, it's Miami on September 17th. That's a little bit of a knockdown drag out because Miami needs a big win. A&M needs a big win. That's actually a very good early season non-conference game. A lot of folks are going to enjoy Miami versus Texas A&M. It's a fun game. But the week before that, they play Appalachian State, which – A&M will be a favorite, no question about that. But given the the hopes of getting a nice, easy win to start the season and kind of roll into more challenging games, the Mountaineers of Appalachian State are not exactly that necessarily. So that's a little bit tricky. But here's the bigger point I want to make about the A&M schedule here for a moment. And if you haven't really started paying attention to schedules, it is time to start doing that. This is one of the most fun parts about the offseason. When you start looking at these teams' schedules and see who has kind of a weird schedule anomaly, y'all, I don't know that anybody plays a weirder schedule than what Texas A&M does. Listen to this for a moment. A&M does not play a home SEC game until October 29th. That's very weird. So just keep this in mind here. For a team facing immense pressure to be good this upcoming year because they have had the recruiting success, including the number one class. You've got future recruits saying, I don't see any championship trophies around here anywhere. There is a lot of pressure on A&M to win right now. And this is the schedule facing them as they try to do that. Out of conference, Appalachian State. Out of conference, Miami. Their first SEC game is in Arlington, Texas on September 24th against Arkansas. You want to play Arkansas in a situation where you have to win the game? Given what Sam Pittman's building there right now? Given the confidence they have about playing Texas A&M right now? 
I don't think I want any part of that as my first SEC game, neutral site against Arkansas, with 10 gazillion Hogs fans down there in Dallas because they're all in on their team right now. Then listen to this. After neutral site versus Arkansas, here are the next three games for South Carolina, or I should say for Texas A&M, with with an off date in between. At Mississippi State, at Alabama, at South Carolina. That's three SEC games in a row after playing Arkansas, all on the road. Davis Wade against the Bulldogs, Bryant-Denny with a revenge-minded Alabama team, week off after that, then at South Carolina. What a tricky schedule to start with. What a, as I said before, you don't get a home SEC game until October 29th. When you finally do get that, it comes against Ole Miss and Jackson Dart at quarterback and Zach Evans at running back. This is a very interesting schedule, a, a, a very interesting schedule for a team that, man, going to have a lot of pressure on them to win right away. And that schedule, the number of road games, the tricky out of conference games, that is not doing them anything any any favors pretty interesting i was going to do another story but i've kind of gone long on this let's just wrap up the sec through on that we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean but if you haven't started paying attention to these sec schedules yet it is time to do it uh i think this is a very tricky schedule for a&m and by the way they had their spring game last week and, and y'all know i'm a believer in jimbo and in, in the talent that he's bringing in there eventually they are very likely to win very big because the teams that recruit that well typically do but knowing they've got a tough schedule and knowing they've got pressure, Max Johnson and Haynes King, they didn't even have put up big numbers in the spring game this past weekend. Oh, this is interesting. This is very, very curious uh, for uh, A&M going into the upcoming season. We'll make that your SEC through. Now, we are going to give away some Braves tickets. Before I tell you about how we're going to give them away, let me tell you what's happening tomorrow. And man, I am so excited about this. We're going to broadcast live Dog Nation Daily tomorrow from Sport and Social, which is like great sports bar and restaurant right there in the Battery Atlanta, right next to Truist Park. We're going to be there because the Braves are celebrating Champions Week right now. They're obviously World Series champions. That's really cool. As I mentioned to some of our audience before, I love the the World Series hats they're wearing right now. They got the gold trim around the A logo on the helmets and the hats. That's really cool. They last night. I wish I could have been there. I had baseball practice for my for my son. I couldn't go, but they gave out the uh, replica World Series rings last night. That was really fun. Uh, I mean, that, it's one of the coolest stadium giveaways I've ever seen. The lines were just backed up like crazy for folks trying to get in Truist Park to get those rings. That was such a cool thing, and I. I may be going to eBay later on to see if I can find one. But the point is, is uh, the Braves are doing some really cool things right now to welcome back the start of the season, to celebrate their World Series championship uh, from last year. And tomorrow, they're also helping to celebrate the Georgia National Championship there, too. So it's a 12-20 start tomorrow against the Washington Nationals. And before the game, from 10 a.m. till noon, out there in the plaza area of the Battery Atlanta, they're going to give you a chance to get your picture taken with both the Braves World Series trophy and the Georgia National Championship trophy together. So if you've got a ticket to the game, you can get your picture opportunity with both those great trophies. It's a really cool experience. And so we're going to be there broadcasting the show live. I'm going to go to the game after that, which I'm really excited about. 
And you can do the same thing. Check out your tickets, braves.com slash champions week. That's braves.com slash champions week for more information on that. And come out and see us. Please come by to battery, uh, to battery tomorrow, to sport and social. Just say hello. We'll talk some Georgia football. We'll talk some Braves. We'll get ready for, I mean, listen, anytime you can sneak away and go to a, a day game like this, that's always really cool. So we'll do that tomorrow. Truist Park, Battery Atlanta. Uh, Braves Nationals celebrating Champions Week with both trophies in the same place at the same time. Braves.com slash Champions Week for more on that. However, let me also say this, which is that we also have three pairs of tickets to give away. And here's how we're going to do this. I just want a good memory from you. And obviously, I'd love to give one to each of you who share a really good memory on this, but I don't have that kind of ticket supply to be able to do this. But I want to know your best memory of this past season when the Braves were on their way to winning the World Series, Georgia on its way to winning the national championship. There's really no wrong answer here. But if you can, like, find a way to kind of tie both things in together, to me, that just makes for a better story. Like, let me give you an example of this. When, when the Braves were playing in the World Series, it was also the same week that Georgia was playing Florida. And I remember so vividly being in uh, Jacksonville, obviously loving to see Georgia beating up on Florida the way that it did. Then after the game was over with, we did our postgame show. My good friend Jeff Sintel with me. And then when that was done, we kind of rolled right over to a bar and got nestled in there and watched the Braves win a World Series game there at Truist Park. And it was just so much fun to be able to kind of do both those things the same day. I would have given anything to be in the ballpark that night for the Braves. You can't be in two places at one time. So I was in the stadium for Georgia, Florida, then getting settled in with a bunch of other Braves fans there in Jacksonville late that night. We're you know cheering on the Braves and having a good time doing that. And so when I think about the, the overlapping year of really my two favorite teams winning a championship in the same year, which is almost more than I could have ever imagined being true, for some reason it's that moment that comes to mind for me being in Jacksonville, Georgia beat Florida, and then watching the Braves on television that night from a packed bar with a bunch of Braves fans and dog fans all having a really good time doing that. That's my memory. That's my memory on that. And so I'd love to have your memory there as well. So send those. We're going to draw out three winners. Each of you will get a pair of tickets for tomorrow. And the website to, or I should say the email address to send this to is info at dognation.com. It's info at dognation.com. Just simply send me your memory uh, there is no wrong answer. We're simply going to draw three of these. Info at dognation.com. Send me that. We'll draw some winners. If you're listening on the radio, podcast, this is for everybody. Video, everything else there as well. Thank you very much, Connor, for putting that on the screen. That's awesome. Info at dognation.com. Give me your memory. We'll draw out three winners and you'll have a pair of tickets for the game tomorrow. I'm really excited about that. Can't wait to see you at Sport and Social in the Battery Atlanta next to Truist Park before the Braves take on the Nationals for Champions Week with the Braves World Series trophy and the Georgia National Championship trophy in the same place, the same time. I cannot wait to see all of you for all of that there tomorrow. So as we wrap up today, we'll do so golden shoe style here. Uh, Our buddy Dogs on Tap, who always sends some funny stuff, you know, there's a lot of these things now where people like do the surveys and they give you like the full country and what each state thinks. And so uh, our buddy George on tap showing us this of like which states hate which other states. And he says, <laughs> according to this, that uh, George obviously hates Florida. Alabama hates Florida. But according to this, that George on tap sent us uh, Florida also hates the state of Florida there as well, which makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, even lousy, stinking gators know they're lousy and stinking, I guess, which is 
which is a pretty good thing all the way around. So a pretty funny stuff from our buddy George on tap will make him a golden shoe winner here today. Also, speaking of those lousy singing gators, part of the reason why they're so sad because it's been so long since they were so good. How about a gator hater updater? 4,842 days since they won a national championship. Boy, it's tough to be a gator these days and tough to be a gator soon. How about an even 200? 200 days from right now, dogs in Jacksonville beating up on Florida. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, Engineered Solutions of Georgia, live from Truist Park, Battery Atlanta, Sport and Social. Can't wait to do that. We'll talk to you then, everybody. And on the podcast, I'm now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. Of course, R.S. Andrews is the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price. It's promised if your water heater goes out. In many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. We'll take a couple comments here. Uh, both at dognation.com and on Twitter at dognationdaily. William Billy Ray writes in to say, I support the right of these players to transfer if they want to, but just feel sick of it that our society today has lost commitment and hard work as the means to success, such as life, it seems. And I do kind of understand this sentiment at least a little bit that, you know, listen, on the one hand, I don't like the idea of any player being held hostage anywhere. And use that, you know, euphemistically in air quotes, you know, the idea that that you kind of, you know, basically give up all your freedom once you sign up a letter of intent. There's a part of that to me that doesn't quite feel right. But on the other hand, like good advice is generally true across a broad spectrum of, of situations and bad advice kind of oftentimes works the same way. And, you know, this notion of, hey, you know, you should expect success to come quickly. And if it doesn't come, then you should exit the premises and go somewhere else change your location to to change your outcome and change your circumstances like that seems to be the kind of advice that some people are giving college football players and in most walks of life that's actually not good advice that hey if you're not having success immediately don't worry about trying to stick it out just look for a different place to go start fresh somewhere else and you'll have the success that you deserve because you're special like that's not good advice in most areas of life but in some how we kind of have made that the the hallmark for the current age of college football under the auspices of the players ought to be free to do what they want well i'm all for freedom but it's also kind of fair to point out of is the way in which most players are utilizing this freedom actually actually good for them as we've said now a million times that if you want optimum freedom the right amount of rules for optimum freedom is not zero and I just think that's one of those things that we do have to examine that that if there is any part of college football whatsoever, and I realize this makes me sound like the old man on the porch, but if there's any part of college football whatsoever that's still about training up young men to be better men on the other side of football, then I'm not quite so sure how the portal furthers that goal. So I don't know what you do with that, but it is at least worth considering. Uh, Frank Palumbo also writes in. He says, it's up for debate. Are scholarships really important anymore? He says, with NIL and the proliferation of transfer portal, where do scholarships really fit? A school, he says, could easily offer uh, 85 kids and then use the NIL to pay the way in place of scholarships. Thoughts? I think it's a fair question. And look, I think you're hearing more and more people talk about even more radical change coming the way of college sports in the future, especially football, which is the sport we primarily talk about here. And like part of me wonders, and it's hard to know what the future is going to hold, but there is part of me that wonders, can the connection that football has to school still be maintained given all of the other radical stuff 
that's going on here, right? I mean, and I, I don't know. I I, I I I don't know like what the future looks like. I mean, we've had Dabo Swinney the last couple of days talk about kind of blowing up the whole thing and starting over new. We've had other people kind of talk about the idea that one day there'll be kind of a breakaway. And, um, you know, I've even said before that just given how different certain parts of the country kind of view the world, how different certain parts of the country kind of view college athletics, it seems hard to imagine that all of these various entities, think about the Power Five conferences here for a moment, they could be unified in cooperation just given the fact they just sort of have different aspirations, it seems like at times. So I would say that almost anything is on the table over the course of the next 20 years, certainly. And maybe even over the course of the next five years, we could see you know, radical change there as well where everything is considered. But this is the one thing that I always kind of keep coming back to is that I do believe there is something uniquely special about college football that we're about to see like the USFL start playing games. I can pretty much predict that the USFL won't be successful because no other football league that's trying to compete with the NFL has had any, any success whatsoever. They haven't even been able to finish seasons for the most part, at least recently, the last couple of that have started that football is incredibly popular. But football alone is not enough to make a thriving business. The NFL has achieved what it's achieved. College football has achieved what it's achieved. It's the only other football entity that has found any way to rival the NFL whatsoever. And the thing that it sells is connection to either a university or connection to a, a part of a state or, or a state that doesn't have any kind of pro sports offerings. That's the special recipe that college football has had. And when you start untethering football or any sport but in this case football when you start untethering that sport from the school I do think you start to run the risk of ruining the special sauce that has made college sports as popular as it is and suddenly it becomes like any other minor league sport you know G League basketball or whatever it's called now you know USFL football uh minor league baseball which is really disappearing in certain parts of the country the more that you disconnect college sports from the colleges themselves i think that you run the risk of kind of messing up what has made college sports special i mean look at the ncaa tournament like generally speaking college basketball players are less well known than they were 15 20 years ago but the ncaa tournament is still a huge thing because somehow some way people just kind of care about you know their college or a college in their state or or whatever else that it is kind of a weird special sauce of what allows the popularity to be created almost doesn't even really make sense but you can't deny that it exists and so that's always my concern here is that individually there's a pretty strong argument for why nil should exist or individually there's a pretty strong argument for why you know free one-time transfers maybe should exist a lot of the changes that are coming the way of college sports individually can be fairly well argued for why they ought to be allowed to occur makes makes some sense but the thing that concerns me and the reason why i kind of stand in the way of some of this sometimes is because when you add all of this together all of a sudden you start to pick away at what has been a vibrant and strong institution that's given us you know, community something to rally around that's given you know players a chance to to make themselves into better men on the other side of all of this and just giving us you know a popular pastime to to, to follow 
that it is possible to pick at this enough that you tear away the fabric in a way that it's not easily repaired again or maybe impossible to be repaired again. And as all these changes occur, I just sort of hope somebody kind of has that in mind. But we will follow that and see where it goes. For now, though, thanks for being here on the R.S. Andrews Cooldown today here on the podcast. And find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. As we get ready for the warm weather time of year, you can get your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. Just find them online at rsandrews.com to do that today. And we'll see you tomorrow live from Sport and Social in the Battery Atlanta next to his park. Braves Nationals at 1220. We're a part of that for Champions Week. But the show live from the stadium tomorrow or outside the stadium tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you there. Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll talk to you then.